Welcome to Cinemazing Chats. Uh, I'm Erica with Pablo. Hey, and, how's it going? And this is episode 23, so it's a super important and freaky episode. Yeah, Jim Carrey's um, going to knock down our doors and demand to know what we did with his family. <laughs> um, and we watched the film Rat Race from 2001. Yep, right after 9-11. It was an inside job. No, it was before 9-11. It was, in, <laughs> it was August 17, 2001. Yeah, and this movie seems perfectly suited for its time period. It's very early 2000s. It even has uh, both the Baja Men and Smash Mouth on the soundtrack. Yeah, it has the greatest uh, turn-of-the-century soundtrack. And actually, after this movie, I was inspired to go watch every other movie that prominently featured All Star, uh, including Mystery Men. Oh, really? Mystery Men has it? Yeah. Actually, there was like a weird run for this song because uh, so Mystery Men used it in 98, Shrek used it in 2000, and then I think this movie used it in 2001. So it's a song that wouldn't die. Oh my god. No wonder it was such an earworm. Yeah, it just kept getting revived. And of course, the Baja men wrote that terrible who let the dogs out. <laughs> hey, that one was good. It had dogs featured in the video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, I was kind of interested. Uh, you specifically wanted to talk about this movie. Uh, I was just wondering what, what you were thinking there. I thought that this movie kind of uh, went with our, today's zeitgeist, zeitgeist a little bit in that um it kind of has this corrupt businessman played by John Cleese who's manipulating and uh betting on all the people in this race um and ultimately he kind of gets uh, his come up and so it's kind of like um anti rich a little bit Right, even though it's uh, sort of a simplistic message, you still wouldn't really expect it out of a movie like this. Um, it's definitely very populist. Just saying something like, you know, money doesn't bring you happiness, or, you know, the rich are never satisfied, or something of that effect. Mm-hmm. And I find this movie interesting also because it seems like sort of a throwback movie. Specifically, the plot seems very similar to uh, a movie called It's a Mad, 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 Mad World in which uh, a bunch of actors from that era were also trying to find a bunch of money hidden under a giant uh, tree. Mm. Interesting. Okay, yeah, so it, there's the sort of this uh, trope of, like, a race movie. Yeah, or just, like, a ensemble movie with lots of people uh, involved. Sort of zany antics. Yes. So this was directed by Jerry Zucker, and he and his brother, of course, worked on a bunch of different spoof, spoof films, starting with uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, which I think they made out of film school. Um, and generally just made a bunch of subversive, pretty, like, I don't know, out there movies, like the Naked Gun trilogy and Airplane. Oh, yeah. And I can see some of that in this, but some scenes really fell flat. <laughs> Yeah, and you have to imagine that their uh, golden era was definitely the 70s, 80s. Um, and this is them trying again way after that fact to recapture some of that magic. Plus, in this one, uh, it's only Jerry, not his brother. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely looking back at The Naked Gun, for example, you can see in that movie that there's a lot more uh, you know, jokes that sort of land, sort of uh, a better ratio of hits than misses. Mm -hmm. And also just a bigger quantity and more variety of jokes, whereas in this one I think it was mostly like physical gags. Yeah, it's very physical slapstick comedy. Like I'd say that movie. I would say that both Airplane and the Naked Gun trilogy use a lot of like wordplay and like I don't know, just silly uh, messing around with uh, like proportions and stuff, like oversized mm -hmm. things and too small things, and just uh, living in sort of a cartoon world. Mm, yeah. I guess it's this one slightly more grounded like nothing really happens in this that wouldn't have happened in real life except the thing with the cow oh right so this is definitely a really stacked movie and they kind of push it in your face right away uh, it starts with sort of a Monty Python-esque cutout, a uh, little animation 
and it's got you know pretty much a bunch of stars from that era Whoopi Goldberg uh, John Cleese um, like you mentioned Seth Green Brecken Meyer for some reason Amy Smart so many people uh, did you say John Lovitz John Lovitz is in there and Mr. Bean Mr. Bean basically playing himself Rowan Atkinson yeah um Cuba Gooding Jr. Did you say him? I don't know. Yeah, there's a, such a huge cast. Um, but one thing I thought was interesting was that, like, all of these people um, are kind of like, they're either family or friends or whatever, romantic interests or something. And they're all coming to Las Vegas for different reasons and intersecting and getting, like, basically a Willy Wonka golden ticket to go on this race. But I thought it was interesting how they're all kind of coming from different styles of movies. Like right. Cuba Gooding Jr. is coming from a sports movie where he's like a failed referee. Um, Seth Green and his brother are like scumbag uh, scam artists. So they always remind like, me of like the Always Sunny gang now. Yeah. And sort of like that in like a brother comedy like Step Brothers or something where they're kind of like incompetent too. Right. Uh, but yeah, just kind of like petty thieves or whatever, I guess. John um, Lovitz and his family are like on almost a National Lampoons-esque uh, misadventures on a vacation sort of. Yeah, trip. they're in a vacation situation movie. <laughs> Except I will say there seems to, there seem to be a lot of sort of unfortunate like anti-Semitic jokes uh, inserted around like John Lovitz's character. He seemed like very, uh, you know, penny pinching and all these stereotypes of Jewish men. Oh, interesting. So they're kind of playing up. That's right. Yeah, they're kind of playing up some of that, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then Whoopi is uh, encountering her, you know, her, da her long lost daughter. <laughs> and that's some sort of like family drama because then there's like a mother daughter duo watching them and crying. I was like, is this like a lifetime family drama movie? <laughs> yeah. And there's even a fair bit of, you know, other cameos in the secondary characters uh kathy bates shows up for a minute to play like a crazy squirrel lady way Knight, yeah. who you knows big from seinfeld at the time isn't it yeah um paul rodriguez who's a fairly famous uh latino actor uh dean kane who played superman oh yes yeah, so, oh and of course dave thomas who was pretty big in the canadian improv scene Oh, so he's another comedian who's like John Cleese's assistant. So it's like two comedians. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting to look at this comedy in its period because you can almost see you can get fall in line with something like, I don't know, Austin Powers or something where they're getting like a bunch of talented comedians and I'm sure they had like the script all written out, but they probably gave them some room to sort of improv or try new things. Right. I guess that's why Mr. Bean, his Rowan Atkinson's character is basically just a Mr. in a Mr. Bean movie, except he's talking because they just let him do his thing. Probably. Right. He's doing like a really broad <laughs> Italian character and he specifically has narcolepsy. So they keep gagging on him throughout the film, which is like he's about to win the race. Oh, no, he falls yeah. asleep. Or he's, he's... Just starting the race. Oh, no, he fell asleep. He's two terrible stereotypes. He's got the Italian accent, and then he um, is it like the stereotype of narcolepsy, which is like not how it works at all. <laughs> uh. So I was gonna say between the Zucker brothers and like Mel Brooks, they definitely almost created the spoof genre on their own, which worked pretty well until um, I don't know. I guess scary movies. The first two were okay, and then. Three and four were actually directed by the Zuckers. And then uh, whatever team they were working with started making all those other spoof films that quickly drove it into the ground. Oh, my gosh. Like I think of like Project 42 or whatever the fuck that was. And huh. Superhero movie, I... date movie. Oh, that, that was them. It wasn't yeah. the Zuckers, but it was their like, uh, collaborators who went off and then did that shit. Mm-hmm. Which I'm glad that finally stopped. It's pretty bad for some there. <laughs> Uh. It really bothered me that Brecken Meyer was in this movie just because um, I don't know if there was like a minute there that Brecken Meyer was like in every single movie and I don't really know why because basically just like a really boring white guy. He's milk voice. toast. Yeah, he literally plays John in the Garfield movie. I'm pretty sure. Oh my god, he's a perfect John. His face even kind of looks like the 
drawing of the cartoon or something. I don't know. Right. So he's just like a very generic white guy and he's paired with a very generic white woman uh, in Amy Smart. And she too doesn't really have that much of a character. Yeah, she they're in has a like bland... one scene where he likes where she like snaps cuz her ex is like or her current boyfriend is canoodling with his ex or something. Yeah. Besides from um, that, she's like just a generic lady. Yeah, they're in like the blandest rom-com except she's like really violent apparently. Right. So Breck and Myers introduced as sort of our, our point of view character. He doesn't gamble, so he's like saintly. Uh, even though he's yeah. in Las Vegas. Uh, there's some like cheesy joke about he saw Afro horrors like nine times and he's like oh right my God, in front yeah, of an they... African American family and like that's a little Yeah, some of the jokes um, have not aged well uh, <laughs> such as that one. <laughs> I think they had some gender issues overall as well and some of their jokes I would say. Probably. Um, I also think it's interesting that Cuba Gooding was in this just uh, because he was kind of at the height of his fame at the time. Mm-hmm. This was pretty close after Jerry Maguire and all that. So it's kind of like he could have done anything, but then he just did his series of like pretty cheesy comedies and like Disney movies. <laughs> like he made that, was... that uh, what, Love Boat or something? I don't know. It was like him pretending to be gay on a cruise or something. Or maybe it was called a Gay Cruise. I even remember that. Oh, my God. Uh, he was in Snow Dogs. He's like in a mm-hmm. bunch of other cheesy films. Yeah, interesting. It's also just like a really cheesy backstory for his character because he's just a referee who, for some reason, flipped a coin but then didn't just say what the coin said. <laughs> and then because it's Las Vegas and everyone bets on sports, like everyone hates him because they lost money or right. something. Yeah, so we were kind of joking that all these characters seemed like they stepped out of a more interesting movie, or like, if we had been following them before the start of this movie, uh, it probably would have been more clever. Yeah. So, for example, Seth Green, his brother, uh, presumably had been doing a bunch of scams, and his brother had just gotten his tongue pierced. So, at the <laughs> movie, he's kind of mumbling, which we were wondering, like, is that supposed to be some sort of, like, mentally disabled joke? But it wasn't really clear. You can never tell with these uh, types of movies. <laughs> Yeah, so the start of the movie is just introducing all the players. Uh, we see Whoopi in some amazing purple outfits. Talk to her daughter. Uh, True. Her her son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's like John Lovitz and his family are there. And they're all just uh, slowly getting their little golden coins that tell them to meet in the parlor room. Oh, yeah, there's like a running Gloria Allred joke that starts in the beginning when someone falls down the stairs at the casino and... She, like, shows up to be their lawyer. Oh, yeah. Who's Gloria Allred, though? She's some... Apparently, she's a famous lawyer, um, and she's just playing herself in the movie. It is is an American women's rights attorney notable for taking high-profile and often controversial cases. So Hmm. she's just always around to take people's claims against, like, the casinos or whatever. Well, that's kind of funny, though, because it sounds like they're making fun of her, even though it sounds like what she does is actually a good thing. Is it? Yeah, it's true. They shouldn't make, they shouldn't poke fun. I don't know. Maybe they're advertising her, though. <laughs> Could be. I mean, it's interesting to look at the political views of this director um, because it sounded like his brother definitely went super conservative after nine mm-hmm. eleven and got super radicalized. And he even made that terrible Christmas Carol movie with uh, Chris Farley's brother. Also An American Carol. Oh, interest. Chris Farley's brother. Yeah. He's, like, playing mm. Michael Moore, basically, in that movie. But, oh, no. just, but it's all about how America's so great and all this stuff. I don't know. Oh, no. Well, Specifically yeah, in, so the, I... in the ways you wouldn't want to, like, present that. I don't know. Yeah, it makes you kind of, like, rethink this movie, although it slightly predates uh, 9-11. But it's, like, yeah, are they kind of trying to poke fun at everyone's quote, unquote, or whatever? I mean, that's definitely what they did in Airplane and Naked Gun, like equal opportunity. Like, we're not really going to pick a view, just like being subversive. Mm. Like, pretty much since the 70s, uh, they were kind of similar to National Lampoon's group, just like taking the taking the gas out of anything. Mm, I see. So the structure of this movie is very similar to like a board game or reality show. We were even comparing it to like either Clue or The Amazing Race. Which is a bunch of characters trying to oh. lie against each other in a comedic fashion. 
which I just wanted to say that this movie predates Amazing Race, which apparently came out, I think, in the fall of 2001 after this movie. So it's kind of interesting. I feel like maybe race things were like the zeitgeist of that time or something. I mean, this is an MTV film specifically, which they obviously did Survivor and uh, Road Rules and all those things. Oh, I didn't realize this or, sorry, was an not MTV Survivor, movie. Road Rules. I just meant. Yeah, they did Road Rules. Oh, well, yeah, and maybe it's even coordinated with releases of stuff so that you promote each other or something. I don't know. Probably. Um, so then we're introduced to John Lovett's family, and I thought it was interesting that his wife was played by the uh, actress who was one of the witches in Hocus Pocus. And that's the main other uh, oh, yeah. thing I noted her in. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bean says cock doggies at some point. That's what he calls little hot dogs. <laughs> um, and yeah so i guess they're that's like they just introduce everyone and then they show up in uh at with john cleese because they all got the golden ticket from like um a slot machine yeah john cleese has weird giant teeth and he laughs a lot for no reason yeah he has he huge makes, teeth he makes a joke that an asteroid is going to kill them all and that's why they're there but then he's immediately like just kidding he, yeah, he obviously is a sociopath, like, right away. Yeah. Uh, and he introduces Dave Thomas, who plays Mr. Grisham, a man who was born with no personality, as he says it. So they're given a task to drive 563 miles to Silver City, where they'll find $2 million in a uh, safety deposit locker. But I was immediately thinking, like, why wouldn't one of the contestants just murder all the other ones? I think that's what obviously would happen in real life. Yeah, he said there are no rules. Right, because, I mean, I think people have done much worse things for much less money. Yeah. And, oh yeah, and then he, like, has, John Cleese has a real gun that he shoots up into the ceiling to mark the start of the race. Right. It's kind of interesting <laughs> because in the movie there's a metal air because you find out after they all leave that John Cleese is with a bunch of other, like, wealthy, uh... Business, business people who yeah. are all like obsessed with betting and they're all betting on who's going to win the race so that's kind of yeah. like the title title of the movie rat race like come drum life uh... yeah the rat race is like a metaphor for life and the puppet masters are all these rich business people so all the characters are saying like oh this is ridiculous we're not going to follow through on this but then they're all immediately like lying so they run down the stairs and get tangled up Cuba Gooding Jr. is first to get into a taxi with Paul Rodriguez, and there's like a funny gag where he's like a really big sports fan, and uh, Cuba's trying not to, t to tip the fact that he's the referee. He messed up the big game. Oh yeah, he's like, because, yeah, his life is in danger, people find out. Right. And meanwhile, um, Brecken Meyer's like, oh, I'm too good for this, I'm not going to do this. But then he yeah. overhears that Amy Smart is uh, a pilot. Oh, right. And she's a pilot who happens to be reading the exact same book he's reading. Right. And so he's like, oh, hey. <laughs> um, oh, and she's specifically a helicopter pilot. Right. Okay. So, and paired with that scene is uh, Seth Green and his brother are messing up the satellite dish by uh, towing a cable around it. But then that leads to their car getting towed up the uh, vertical... Like the tower. Tower, and so it's like Seth Green slowly getting run over vertically. Just kind of a funny, elaborate gag, which this movie is full of. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I should um, yeah. say that the brother's played by Vince Villoth, but I don't really know who that is. Yeah. Aside from him. Oh, and this is when they artfully, so artfully use the who let the dogs out is when they all start the race. <laughs> right. Wait, and the Baja men wrote, like, a unique theme song for this, too, that where they're singing about Rat Race. Right, they're the ones who start the movie. And yeah. you also kind of have to wonder, like, was this also sort of influenced by Shrek or whatever that was going around the zeitgeist? <laughs> Probably. Like being gross and weird. Mm. Mm -hmm. So Brecken Myers has, like, the hero journey call to action when he realizes that he's the only one who could potentially get a ride out of there on a helicopter. Yeah. He, like, overdramatically jumps over and knocks all the trash out because he just threw the key into a, a trash can. 
Meanwhile, Amy Smart, who I found to be very similar to, like, Elizabeth Banks in this movie, maybe, is just like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, because he doesn't tell her at first why he wants to go to, um, wait, where is it? Somewhere in New Mexico? Silver City. Silver City. Las Vegas, I think, maybe. Or uh, Nevada. Oh, yeah, and then when Breck and uh, Meyer met Amy Smart... They were. I feel like they were. I guess probably lampooning the rom the rom com because they're both like horribly awkward. Or he's like he says like I'm not a creep or anything, but he's like wants to ask her out. Right. They had the world's worst not... meet cute. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah, and his reaction of like, are there a lot of female pilots? I noted was rude. <laughs> right. Oh. So yeah, he's not even that charming. What's the big deal? <laughs> Oh, and we noted that this was a time before airplane security was horrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We know we were joking that Seth Green and his brother would definitely get just get shot. No. Yeah. They did anything <laughs> like that. So throughout this movie, there's like a kind of uh, recurring gag with the rich people just taking side bets on different things. And the first one is just uh, Dave Thomas is eating a chocolate. They're all like, what is it? Oh, pralines, blah, 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 shit. Oh, because they have a box of the, like, fancy chocolates where it's like, what's the filling and flavor? (laughs) And that's, like, a recurring gag that they bring back a bunch of times. Yeah, they sometimes do really simple bets like that, and then they sometimes do, like, really elaborate bets where they, like, stage people and, like, see what they do and, like, take bets on what they'll do and stuff. Right, so there's like one of, I think, some hotel maids hanging on a curtain or something like that and seeing how long they can hang up there. And then later in the movie, oh, yeah. like, Dave Thomas propositions this uh, prostitute, but basically has some, like, ridiculous list of demands. About, yeah, and if she would do it or not? Yeah, or, like, how long it would take her to say yes or something. Oh, my God. So meanwhile, it goes back to John Lovett's family who have now gotten their car and they're just driving straight to the city. But of course, the daughter has to poop. So then that leads to the disturbing scene where John Lovett is just like, can you just poop out the window, basically? (laughs) Okay, yeah, I think that her being like, I'm prairie dogging it. And then her having to poop out the window was probably one of the more disturbing (laughs) scenes of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's just a lot through the imagination, but still. Yeah, but then, yeah, of course, they get pulled over, so his plan to save time did not pay off. Let's see. Then, meanwhile, Whoopi and her daughter are meeting up with this uh, Kathy Bates character who's just trying to get directions, and she has all these squirrels and nuts, and she's like, do you want to buy some nuts to feed the squirrels? And they're like, no. So she sends them on a bunch of directions, and they end up, like, going to this extreme downhill slope where they're basically about to die and passing all these signs that are just like you should have bought a squirrel yeah they were trying to meme you should have bought a squirrel by having this like eccentric kathy bates character um having this elaborate like setup (laughs) yeah and kathy bates drops a hard r which is another sign of the times oh my god yeah another sign of the times Meanwhile, uh, Cupid Gooding has been dropped off in the middle of the desert, so he's having to practice some survivalism. This is after somebody told uh, Paul Rodriguez that he was the referee, and then somehow he ends up in the same car again. Yeah, I felt bad for him up until the point where he's um, kind of a jerk to the Lucys later on, but like, yeah, people just, he's like, he's kind of in like a sad sack situation. Right. His character's almost like the lead in some romantic comedy where like, Everybody hates him or something. I don't know. Yes. Like that's the type of character he is. I noted that this was a time before cell phone apps for directions because they were having to deal with like how to get there. I think Whoopi, that's why they were lost. And I was like, oh man, what a time. Right. <laughs> so then John Lovitz's terrible children forced him to stop uh, at the Barbie Museum. It turns out to be some former Nazi named Barbie, <laughs> the Butcher of Lions. So, yeah, this whole setup was maybe one of the most elaborate, right? Um, of the uh, most elaborate gag setup of the entire movie. So John Lovitz gets to make some funny faces while the uh, neo Nazis are just uh, praising this guy, walking them through their museum, giving them a tour, and like explaining Nazi history. 
Right. And then meanwhile, Seth Green and his brother uh, stop outside and like steal their car. I think they just straight up break the engine or do something to it. Or yeah, it's like they need a battery or something. I don't oh, think okay. I don't they think they the purposely battery. know that's John Lovett's car. I think they're just uh, trying to fix their own car. Oh. So then John Lovett steals the car from the steals Nazi Hitler's museum. car. <laughs> specifically. Uh, so that's part of the setup for all the following gags for this family, but it's like yeah, that's one of the big uh, plot points for the National Lampoon vacation story. Yeah. So then they start their next big elaborate set piece, which is uh, Amy Smart and Brecken Meyer are flying oh, yeah. to Silver City when she notice when she stops over her house and notices that Dean Kane, her boyfriend, is like having sex with his ex in the pool or whatever. Yeah, from above. <laughs> so then there's like a lot of elaborate stunt work as she's like uh, careening down with the helicopter to try to scare him. Yeah, it was like more serious than a Fast and Furious movie in some some scenes, some parts. Like it was like a helicopter, like doing all these stunts, getting low to the ground and chasing a car. Yeah. So we did we did agree that there was some good stunt work in this movie. A lot of good work for stunt people. Yeah. All right. So then Cuba Gooding finally makes it to like a bus stop, and there happens to be a bus driver in the bathroom and so cuba has to make up some elaborate story about a woman giving birth and he just starts talking about the placenta and how there's like water everywhere or liquids uh, and so oh, he, yeah he tricks the right. bus driver into like taking off all his clothes and then impersonates him on the bus which happens to be full of i love lucy characters impersonators yeah and that's what really got me thinking about this movie being like the singularity of Hollywood movies or something because all of the different characters are coming from different movies and then they're sort of paying homage with this like van full of I Love Lucy's which is kind of like old Hollywood and then they're all in like a different type of movie a, a race movie I don't know there's just like a lot of kind of homage things going on that's true Mr. Bean awakens and running oh, off yeah. White Knight yeah, hits Mr. him Bean. with a truck uh, oh, Gloria like, Allred was there for the truck hitting. All <laughs> oh, right. So as a uh, compensation, he's like, "Do you want to ride with me to Silver City?" Uh, but then on the way, he reveals that he has a human heart that he's bringing for a transplant. Because all the planes are down, so he has to drive it. <laughs> right. So that leads that leads to his uh, next setup for the rest of his right, line. Mr. Bean. Yeah. Um, oh, and I guess the brothers. Or the brothers are getting into locksmith trouble or something. Is that happening at the same time? Mm, oh, yeah. So they go to uh, make a copy of the key because they have the plan that since there's two of them, they can just split up and have better <laughs> odds that way. So they take it to some uh, scummy-looking locksmith who, of course, copies the original key and doesn't give them a duplicate. Or, like, yeah. fakes the duplicate, and then he's, like, off to uh, some hot air balloons. And he's just going like, to yeah. steal a hot air balloon to get there faster. Yeah. So it's like uh, Seth Green and his brother are driving across a field in their truck, uh, trying to bring down the balloon. And then somehow it a cow an... gets ensnared. <laughs> I don't even remember how that happens, but, yeah, they're, like, I think one of them's hanging on the rope, and then there's, like, a cow that gets entrapped in the rope as they drive through a field of cows. Right. And I don't know. <laughs> so it's like comparing these to some of the other parodies that they made, it's like they had more money, more budget, so they could make more elaborate but still realistic looking gags in this one. But I'm not sure if they're quite as funny or like gag a minute as something like Naked Gun, for example, or Airplane. Right. Something about them fell a little flat. Um Yeah. It's got to be like more, you got to go harder on the surrealism or something if you're going to do that. Otherwise, you're just kind of like, what is going on? Right. Um, oh, but yeah, so that was like another like car chase that was like fast and furious worthy with like stunt people. Yeah. <laughs> with the hot air balloon. Lots of cows. So many cows. I felt so bad for that cow. Right. I mean, it was obviously just like a puppet or something. If it had been made a few years later, it probably would have been some cheesy CGI. 
For some reason, one of the Lucys on the bus with Cuba sets another Lucy's hair on fire. I think she just like throws her cigar and cigarette into the hair, and the hairspray catches fire. Oh, oh, that's the reference. Okay, so one of the Lucys say um, that episode thirty-four of I Love Lucy is their favorite episode, and I just looked it up, and that one says Ricky is horrified. Um, to notice his hairline is receding, Lucy tries a number of unorthodox treatments in order to convince Ricky that the products and treatments aren't worth the worry about his hair. So does she set her hair on fire in that one, maybe? Oh, probably. So it's like a ref. It's an homage! <laughs> I don't know. Right, and it, it's clear that the Zucker, Jerry Zucker, uh, likes I Love Lucy or whoever wrote this. And this is a pretty good face acting from the Lucys when they're all like, ah, Ricky, whatever. Oh, yeah, and they play the theme song, too, when, like, the bus is going to shit. Yeah. It's, like, another, yeah, it's just an episode where Lucy's getting into some antics. Wait, who was playing the harmonica? I just wrote harmonica. Oh, that was Hitler's harmonica. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's Ugh. funny. Uh, so then it sort of dovetails, and the cow with the hot air balloon hits the bus, which causes them to crash. <laughs> And then it cuts back to Mr. Bean uh, and his heart thing. Mm-hmm. And somehow the heart, like, first falls out of the window, then into a field, then into an electric fence. So it's <laughs> completely destroyed, basically. Yeah. And I like this it's line really... that I wrote down. Oh. Uh, Mr. Bean just says, I make a joke to help you forget how screwed you are. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's just like, that's definitely supposed to be some gross-out humor where it's like, a, a human heart is like it's like a Benny Hill theme for like the heart like going yeah. everywhere <laughs> exactly like whoop 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 uh, so then White Knight's basically saying we need to find some drifter somebody that nobody will miss to kill <laughs> and he's looking at Mr. Bean and Mr. Bean's like oh yeah oh look a drifter and then he somehow jumps onto a passing Amtrak <laughs> which is impossible Oh, I know, that was weird. But yeah, I guess he has literally no family, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah, he just gets on the train. So there's a lot of um, really elaborate setups and then immediate payoffs. Um, so, for example, Whoopi and her daughter have somehow stumbled upon a rocket car test in the middle of the desert after surviving their squirrel descent. So <laughs> then they, like... Uh, they just ask, how do you start it? And the guy's like, oh, you just press the button. And then they're away on a rocket car. And they just do a bunch of like elaborate gags with their faces. But as yes. that's happening, uh, Amy and Breck and Meyer are trying to fix their vehicle. And some mechanics like saying, if there's something wrong with how I'm conducting my business, may the Lord strike me down. And just at that moment, the rocket car passes, down, passes by and flattens his uh, entire shop. Yeah, their plot line is, like, not as funny, though. No, it's pretty flat. Yeah. Uh, so Whoopi and her daughter climb out of the rocket car and immediately are, like, all dazed and confused. So they climb, So there's a bus full of uh, people with mental issues. And they just, like, get corralled onto the bus. But just happens to also be going towards Silver City. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They apparently got up to Mach 1 speed. Oh, yeah. Oh, so it's kind of funny because even though they stole the rocket car, the scientists are all still, like, happy that they're doing successful <laughs> They broke tests. the record. Yeah. Oh, and then um, I think the mechanic or somebody shoots a gun, and then the bullet's, like, uh, going just as fast as the rocket car. So we'll be Oh, yeah, they, they zoom in, guy. yeah, or they slow it down, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, like, uh, in one of their older movies, there would have been like 20 gags in the space where they take all the time to set up like one gag. Oh so no! Just, like, a yeah, lot they went slower or something. I don't know. Yeah, you don't want these elaborate gag setups for like, yeah, just a little bit of payoff. It's kind of weird. Right. It's like a lot of work for a little payoff. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, so then Cubus yelling at the Lucys. It's being like, "You crazy Lucy D words." Yeah, he's so mean to the Lucys. I liked him until he was mean to the Lucys. <laughs> and there's specifically an Asian Lucy who also uses, like, Asian talk or whatever. So that's kind of racist as well. Yeah. He says vacation instead of vacation. Oh, my gosh. Uh, John Lovitz drugs his entire family. And this is after a bunch <laughs> of, like, biker women are, like, passing by the Hitler car. And... 
somehow oh, he wait, yeah. just insults them. He's like, cool. He means to say cool bikes, but then he uses a derogatory word instead. Well, yeah, way before the drugging, yeah, or before the drugging, he gets it. They get attacked by the biker gang, and then they also somehow end up in a World War II veterans <laughs> thing. And the whole elaborate, like, setup was all for, like, John Lovitz accidentally smudging, like, a Hitler mustache on, on his face. Yeah. And, yeah, and he's, like, saying stuff, and then, like, one of the veterans tries to shoot him on stage. Right. Which is totally in the car is behind joke, them. I'm pretty sure, but... Oh, okay. So, yeah, that was the joke. whole elaborate thing of, like, driving that car. Right, um, so then the car is ruined, and that's why they have to get into this truck instead. Right, and so that's why he's drugging them, is because they're done or something. They don't want to the family doesn't want to go. <laughs> so he gives them NyQuil or something. Right. Uh, which is pretty creepy, but... Right. So then meanwhile, um... We cut to Seth Green, his brother, and they're again driving. But they just happen to pass some, like, cool uh, alt girls who, like, are all oh my God. tatted and pierced up. It was so 90s. Yeah. And they're both just, like, showing off their various piercings. And just, like, escalates until she, like, takes off her top. And she's basically got piercings there. But you don't see it. Yeah, he, like, freaks out. But he's driving. And so he, like, drives off the road. He drives off the road, and they drive straight into a roller derby somehow. <laughs> so then there's, like, some funny slow-mo joke where uh, there's a giant monster truck just bearing down on them as they're, like, trying to push and shove each other out of the way to save... Oh, a demolition derby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, not a roller derby. Demolition derby. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, had wrote, I had written down roll into derby, so I confused myself. Uh, oh, yes. But yeah, then of course, they're in danger of dying. Uh, so Mr. Bean's on the train and he's playing with a baby and he accidentally drops the key and the baby maybe like eats it or oh something. Oh my god. So there's like or some hides it. So there's like a pedophile joke because he's like yeah he's like trying to get the key back and he's like I think I'm touching it and the parents are like, and the, the parents fuck? are like what the yeah that was really awkward. So they immediately like throw him off at the next stop which again is conveniently the exact place they're trying to get to. <laughs> So it's like every single one of the uh, rat race people have somehow ended up in the exact place they need to be. And they're all just like racing on foot now to get to the box, the locker. Yeah, they're all just like side by side in the road except Mr. Bean who got dropped off right there in front of him. Yeah, so Mr. Bean has narcolepsy again, so he can't uh, claim the prize. Although he has the key in the like keyhole, feels like he won. Yeah, he pushed it in. That's close enough. <laughs> yep, he oh, and S- Silver City, it said on the sign, is the home of the gold rush. So that's the significance. Oh, yeah. This is all a commentary on the 1903 gold rush of California and <laughs> Silver City, Nevada. Very deep commentary. <laughs> that's all it's really about. It's about the gold standard and how we need to move back to it. <laughs> So one thing about this movie is it was pretty well paced. Uh, it's not boring or anything. You get to the end pretty quick. Oh, yeah. And then um, Vicky, the guy, the, the lady that was hired. Yeah, she comes back at the end with uh, the assistant guy. And they're going to make off with the money. Right. So they open the locker and it's empty. And it cuts to Dave Thomas uh, and the and Vicky running off. They're trying to. Yeah, and some wait. How did the cow end up driving the car? I think the cow like falls yeah, down I think from the, the hot air balloon. Just finally descends. Somehow the cow ends oh up driving. God. Cow is driving. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they make one last uh, betting joke with the rich people because it cuts them on the plane, and they're having all this turbulence. And then somebody throws up, <laughs> and they're like, "All right, who had that that guy or whatever?" And they tell the pilot to they can yeah, stop. So it was it all part of their plan. <laughs> Yeah, that was, like, to make someone puke. Right. And and then in all caps I wrote, SMASH MOUTH! Yeah, so they <laughs> all somehow end up in a Smash Mouth concert. Like, that's the where they all end up after the uh, hot air balloon <laughs> with the money falls again. Yes. Since Smash Mouth is there, uh, I don't even know the guy's name. I'm just going to call him Smash Mouth. John D. Smash Mouth. <laughs> And he's like, whoa, it's you guys. Oh, what are you doing here? Are you, are you here to s- donate some money? We're saving the earth. He's like, way too much. It's way too much. 
Oh my god, yeah, they're like, yeah, they are saving the earth. She's like, how much money? Two million dollars. Two million dollars! Mm? He was promptly asked never to act again. I'm just wondering, like, who, what was the company that owned the rights to Smash Mouth at the time, and how did they, like, leverage them to be in all every single movie from that era? It's bizarre. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah, they had an amazing manager, apparently. Yeah. So I always think this movie as sort of falling in line with a bunch of those other raunchy comedies from the 2000s, uh, you know, like American Pie or Euro Trip or uh, Road Trip. Or I don't know, like yeah. uh, Super Troopers or... Uh... Well, I do give them credit for... They play like the whole All-Star song. Like they even <laughs> get to the second verse and they have the characters like jumping into the audience, like, uh, on t- you know, being carried by the audience. So it's like... They really went hard on the final, like, Stretch. musical number. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's kind of a common technique, and you see it a lot in kids' movies, where you have sort of a weak ending, or maybe you don't even know how to end your movie. So instead, you just, like, end it with some concert in the film, basically, and then everyone's, like, leaving on a good note. Like, Shrek does the exact same thing, where they all just, like, sing some, all, some Smash Mouth at the end of the first Shrek. <laughs> yeah, because I guess it's, like, it would be really hard to actually tie up, like, emotional loose ends, like... They have um, the one the one brother who can't who doesn't talk much right. uh, get with the a girl that they saw in the oh, car. Oh yeah, she's randomly at the Smash Mouth concert because that's her favorite band of all time. Right, <laughs> and then they have Breck Breck and Meyer being the goody two shoes, making um, out with like, Amy, g- making out with Amy, and then also he was the one who took the mic and said that the rich guys will match all the donations. Oh yeah, so that's a final twist. Is like, how do we get back at these rich people for like fucking with us this entire movie? Right, and so John, but it's, like, done out of charity, so it's both good and kind of, like, uh, it's a double-sided, uh, or double-edged compliment or whatever. Right, so it's, like, the only thing they care about is money, so therefore we'll make them pay a lot of money, like, at least four million dollars. Right, but it's, yeah, but then it's going to charity. But yeah, so they are, like, you see John Cleese being like, no, he's, like, upset, so he's kind of defeated at the end. Right as the big bad (laughs) and i don't remember i know i saw it's a mad 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 world a long time ago but i'm pretty sure something similar happens in that where it's like none of them really get the money but somehow they get back at the person who arranged the whole thing i'm pretty sure that's the same thing in that movie interesting i mean it's kind of the thing with any movie that's about money like if they end up with the money that's not really satisfying unless it's uh literally like a fairy tale yes yeah, so I think at the end of the movie uh, of It's a Mad Mad World, they, it's like the guy uh, steals the money again at the end, and then they just lose it, or maybe, um, oh, I think in that one, it's like the suitcase with the money opens, so then everyone in the street in some city gets the money instead. It's the Feed the Earth Foundation or something like that. Mm. Oh, and look at this Rance Howard, who apparently is Ron Howard's dad. Oh, gross. Was the com was the Feed the Earth like commentator person? <laughs> so something kind of Feed the Earth spokesman. Something kind of weird and random about Jerry Zucker is that he also directed Ghost, which you wouldn't think with all his comedy <laughs> movies that he makes that he would have directed that one. And that one was actually right. nominated for best picture apparently that year. Whoa. The Zuckers themselves are Jewish, so it's interesting that they would make a movie that um, kind of pokes fun at Jewish people. Talked about Hitler so much, too. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of fair game, I guess. Yeah, I guess it was making fun of the whole, like, the people, the neo-Nazi people. Oh, they also worked on uh, Top Secret. I always forget about that one. And he also produced a bunch of films in the 2000s, like uh, My Best Friend's Wedding. So, I know, it's kind of funny because when we were talking about this movie, we didn't ever really talk about the characters' names because they're not really playing characters that much. It's basically just, like, the actors playing themselves in a way with some elaborate, like, plot contrivance placed upon them. And it's also, like, there's not really much we can talk to about the plot because it's just a bunch of gags until they get to the city, essentially. Hmm. So it's just interesting to think about the state of spoof films and how either difficult or simple they might be to make there weren't enough rats i was expecting ratatouille yeah it should have been like the departed <laughs> and with a rat running by and really obvious metaphor 
A metaphor for the rat race of our lives. They're all a bunch of rats. <laughs> Despite all my rage, <laughs> I'm still just a rat in a race. <laughs> so I don't actually know if uh, Jerry Zucker was involved with the scary movies. I guess that was just his brother. They kind of, it seems mm. like they kind of parted ways, perhaps because of this political stuff we were talking about. Hmm. So yeah, then it was just David Sucker who, and he was the one who actually directed the Naked Guns, I should say, as well as well as Airplane Top Secret. But that might have just been because they couldn't both be on the uh, credit. And he def- definitely directed Scary Movies three and four. All right, well that was Rat Race. I don't really know what else to say about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought it was hmm. funny when I saw it at the time, and I'm still kind of funny, but obviously very broad and elaborate probably mostly for kids in a way or like teens yeah my yeah would have yeah younger people maybe i don't know just because of like the visual comedy also like looks exactly like a 2000 movie like if you just thought of what is a 2000 movie looks like look like (laughs) it would be this film it's like really uh primary color centric Mm. it's kind of like i don't know cheesy looking i guess yeah, the er, the new millennium new millennium is not. Uh, wait, is it millennium? Hmm? Singular, the new millennium. It's millennium. Millennia. Will <laughs> millennia is plural? I don't know. Okay, well, the turn of uh, the century was not a very good time for fashion. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, I guess that's not true. <laughs> it's no worse than any other time. Um, well, but yeah, I guess I thought. Hmm? Well, at least whatever unholy pact um, Breckenmeyer and Amy Smart made to be in all these movies seemed to run out pretty fast. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought like some stuff was like some scenes had, um, you know, some potential to be better comedy, and then like a lot of this movie was just not that funny. Mm. And then some of the jokes haven't aged well. So, like, I don't know, you could take some, like, seeds of ideas and, like, create something better, probably. Well, again, I'm just thinking of the ratios, because I think it's something important to think about for spoof movies, since, again, in most spoof movies, you're trying to do so many jokes per minute. It just felt like in this one versus, again, Naked Gun, as an example, um, in this one, they set up a lot of gags, but they were just a sort of mild humoristic effect, or you'd have some big elaborate stunt work. Versus in The Naked Gun, you just try to hit as many jokes as you can that are pretty funny. Yeah, just felt and it's more and quotable. Yeah, like these, this had nothing really quotable because it was all like visual slapstick right. kind of gags. But like something like Airplane where you're like, don't call me Shirley, yeah. stuff like that is really memorable. Right. And also I think probably their 70s and 80s movies were more subversive and they were like taking more risks with like the sort of characters or different tropes they were trying to spoof mm. like the stuff with the nun or whatever talking uh ebonics oh god <laughs> well it's just an example yes <laughs> well well i guess at least they fed the earth in this movie such an uplifting comedy if only they donated <laughs> the proceeds to the movie towards that same cause yeah. Maybe we, the audience, are the ones getting tricked. Hmm. So how much movie did this even? How much money did this movie even make? Kind of like doubled its budget. That's pretty good. Like forty-eight million to yeah. eighty-five million. It's not even two hours long. It's like, uh, like eight minutes short. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's not really that much more to say. Like, pretty broad characters. Very safe comedy. But, like, really loaded as well. It's almost as if somebody just met up at Paramount and was like, what actors do you have signed up that would want to be in something like this? Just give us as yeah. many as you can. Yeah, basically it was like, let's just get an ensemble together that will draw people to the audience, but the content's not that exciting i mean at least this movie was filmed largely in nevada which most films are done in hollywood or more like uh georgia atlanta these days 
Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that they filmed there. They did have a lot of desert scenery. Oh, apparently there's a deleted scene where the gamblers play Monopoly with real money. Mm? It's pretty funny. They did have to think of a lot of different premises and different types of vehicles, like the hot air balloon and the land speed vehicle. Yeah. And, like, um, they utilized, yeah, like, the desert, like, with the squirrel lady was that they were driving out in the desert and Cuba Gooding Jr.'s left out in the desert and... I don't know. Basically, like, if it had just been rewritten. <laughs> right, yeah, this seemed like sort of the first pass. You could have the same premise and it could be more successful. And it's kind of just like a lazy script at the end of the day. Like, you can probably pick out, yeah. like, four or five gags that, like, really worked. And then maybe a handful that mm-hmm. are, like, mildly funny and then a bunch that didn't work at all. Right. Um, so this movie came out apparently at the same time as, like, American Pie 2 and Rush Hour 2. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I could see it fitting with that kind of comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the stoner raunchy comedy milieu. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and this was, of course, right before Judd Apatow and that whole thing happened. Right. Bef- yeah. Until then, we had I'm Pooping Out a I'm Window. Out a window, and we liked it. <laughs> <laughs> we liked it. <laughs> Kids, when I was your age... <laughs> <laughs> We pooped out a window and we liked it. <laughs> yep, that's the lesson of this movie. But yeah, it is kind of funny that this does kind of presage a lot of different reality shows that were very similar in premise. Yeah, they're like, let's do this for real. And then bet on who wins. Yeah. Hmm. Alright, well that was 2001's Rat Race by Jerry Zucker. Wow. Neither a noble failure nor a intended failure. A mild success <laughs> for a mild movie. Yes. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say about this? Mm. Negatory. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. Well. See you on the next in amazing chats. All right, I'll be chatting with you later. Right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>